mindfulness mode 460. And she was like, wow, dad's crying. I've never seen dad cry. I must really need to do something. Welcome to Mindfulness Mode. I'm Bruce. Great to have you with us. Hey, I know that if you've listened to the episodes before, you're aware that I ask all my guests about a book that they recommend related to mindfulness. I did a spreadsheet and I collected all the information to find out what books were recommended most often. And I made up an ebook of my own telling you about the 12 most recommended mindfulness books on the Mindfulness Mode podcast. And I'm giving that book away to you as a Mindful Tribe listener for free. Just go to mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. Now today, I'm interviewing a guest who started her career as an attorney and she was very serious about her study and and worked very hard, but she ran into some major problems, some major problems with stress. And she tells the story on today's show and she started getting mindfulness training and she she signed up for a course with Rick Hansen, as you might know, as a very well-known mindfulness expert. And she talks so much about where she, where she moved through her life and how she got to the point where she wrote a fantastic book called Life Falls Apart, But You Don't Have To. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview today with Julie Potiker. Hey, Mindful Tribe, life can feel like it's falling apart. You can feel like you're just just standing on this sand that's about to be just completely washed out from under you. Life can be challenging, and it has been for today's guest. She has had some major challenges, and I, I can tell you that because she shared so many of them in her fabulous book called Life Falls Apart, But You Don't Have To. And it's all about methods for staying calm in the midst of chaos. That's the subtitle of her book. I'm here today with my guest, Julie Potiker. Julie, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am. I am in mindfulness mode. I am grounding myself through the seat and through my feet and looking at your face. And I feel mindful and right here, right now. Well, it's awesome to be here. And uh, well, I want to ask you, what does mindfulness mean to you, Julie? So that's a good question because people get confused about it. Um, Some people think that mindfulness is meditation and it's really two different things. So I just shared with somebody today that I haven't really made time for formal seated meditation for the last seven to 10 days because I've been so busy but I've been doing mindfulness and daily life activities on and off all day long. So for instance, having your coffee or tea in the morning, if (laughs) I noticed this morning, I have a curry coffee machine. I was breathing, watching the water. It goes around and around in a circle while it's warming up. I was noticing my body breathing, watching that circle around. I was feeling the soles of my feet on the kitchen floor. And then it brewed the coffee. I put my creamer in and then I, I smelled it. I felt it. 
I took a breath. I took a sip. That's delicious. That's a mindfulness and daily life activity. Just your first sip of your morning coffee or tea. And it slows you way down. Because while you're doing those things, what you're not doing is worrying and ruminating. You're not on your to-do list of what has to happen today already. So true. So true. I want to share a little bit about you with Mindful Tribe. She's a mindfulness expert and author, and she's an attorney who began her serious study and investigation of mindfulness after graduating from the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program at the University of California in San Diego. Then she went on to become trained to teach mindful self-compassion. And she completed the positive neuroplasticity training professional course with Rick Hansen. Now she shares these and other mindfulness techniques with the world through her Mindful Methods for Life trainings. And like I already mentioned, she has her new book, Life Falls Apart, but you don't have to. So tell us a little bit about how life fell apart for you just kind of looking back what pops into your mind as one of the biggest examples because i know there are a number yeah so i had um i had clinical depression and i i don't know how many of your listeners own up to that um because it's kind of embarrassing and shameful um but when the right after the twins were born I had postpartum depression and I actually wanted to die. And I remember calling my husband. I was driving up Delmar Heights Road and I remember the moment when I thought, okay, I can't stay on the planet anymore. I'm, I can't do it. I'm in too much pain. I'm too tired. I, I'm sorry. I, I gotta go. But there was some voice in me that said, call your husband. And so I called him and I like squeaked out in sobs, you know, I, I don't want to live. And mm -hmm. he said, where are you? And I said, I'm on Delmar Heights Road. And he said, pull over. And he um, drove to me. And on his way, he called my OBGYN and made an emergency appointment. And they fit me in. I left my car. He took me to the doctor. And the doctor put me on an antidepressant called Paxil, which was relatively new at the time. My daughters are almost 25, so this was more than 24 years ago. And um, the, the Paxil kind of took the deep end out of the pool for me. Mm -hmm. And working with the therapist helped me manage that level of, you know, clinical depression. And then I sort of went along with my life, but occasionally I would get taken down by a wave. And it was all before mindfulness-based stress reduction. It was all before that. You know, I, I would get taken down and then something else would stop me, like not wanting my kids to... <laughs> There's this movie where these daughters, it's not funny, it's black humor, where they witness their mother's suicide and then they mm -hmm. end up so screwed up that the only thing they can do for a living is work for the Sunshine Cleaning Company, cleaning up crime scenes. So mm -hmm. when, um, when they were older and I was already 
studying mindfulness-based stress reduction in all the other classes, and I would have like a real wave of depression, I would be like, no, I don't want my daughters to be working for the Sunshine Cleaning Company, and I would kind of humor myself out of it. Eventually, with all this practice, I, I healed my brain, I rewired my brain, I don't have depression anymore, and I no longer have to take antidepressants, but that did take years. Wow. And then you had to deal with addiction. And you had to deal with the addiction that your daughter Danielle was suffering. And I I know dealing with addiction yourself can be absolutely difficult as can be, but then dealing with it in a child is a whole different level. And it sounded like that was just a devastating experience. Can you share that with us? So it's heartbreaking having a loved one with a substance use disorder. I like to think about it as a substance use disorder. And I also like to think about it as the, the loved one's inability to manage difficult emotions. So it, it all comes back to what I teach, which is how to manage difficult emotions. Um, the lion's share of people that have substance use disorders have those disorders because they're numbing a mental health issue. And the mental health issue is their inability to sit with, to surf a difficult emotion like vulnerability or anger or sadness or grief. You know what I mean? Like the big emotions that we all have, they can't surf it and know that it'll go away. So they numb it with a drug or an alcohol or whatever. In the case of, um, in the case of a kid having this problem, you know, as a parent, it's um, heartbreaking and soul crushing and devastating. And then there's all the little terrible anecdotes that go along with actually getting her into rehab, right? Like that, we didn't have to do an intervention because my husband actually cried. And she was like, wow, dad's crying. I've never seen dad cry. I must really need to do something. Mm -hmm. And so she willingly went. But then once she got there, she didn't want to stay because she, she got scared. Because she didn't have the tools that she has now. So now it's a horse of a different story, thank God. It's been a few years already. She had two trips to rehab. And she is really doing well, you know. And, and I know that for people that are listening, that are going through this themselves, it's, you know, two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, two steps back. And then you have to, as the loved one, like look at it from 10,000 feet and notice that the person's actually still moving in the right direction. But she's been doing mindfulness, yoga, dialectical behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, neurofeedback, EMDR for trauma, you know, so she's got this, she's got this, uh, it's a program I actually created um, with uh, an entire group of clinicians that are run by this one clinician that have all these different modalities that is what I thought she needed. Because the traditional go live in a group home and do group therapy 
was damaging to her. It, it, it's not helpful to everybody. So that wasn't going to work. We tried that. It didn't work. Why didn't it work? Because of her constellation of issues. You know, sometimes group therapy, group process is triggering and traumatizing for people that are highly sensitive. So I've learned a ton about this. And for anybody going through it, I just have to say there's this one book called Balm, B-A-L-M, Be a Loving Mirror. B-A-L-M, Be a Loving Mirror by Bev Buncher. And um, it really helped me and it the the guts of it are that your loving connection is your loved one's best chance for survival i love how in your book julie you end each chapter with mindful methods and i love what you said about those mindful methods you said imagine a huge storm of emotion with high winds buffeting you to and fro and then imagine being protected under an umbrella of calm and under this umbrella made from the fabric of your mindfulness meditation and compassion practice the air is light still and balanced that gives a great idea of how you've written this book and it's a beautiful book and a helpful book so practical can you give us some feedback of someone who has read this book made it work for you and then got back to you and told you about the transition oh yeah i get fabulous um i guess they would be called testimonials but i get fabulous emails and comments from people that have not tried everything, but even tried just one thing. Like they're using a here and now stone now and it's giving them peace. It's it's helping them not be frantic or worried because it's breaking the worry loop by looking at the here and now stone and feeling it and thinking about it. And when they're doing that, they're not worrying anymore and how liberating that is. One woman went to visit her sister. She didn't want to have a here and now stone. So she made a here and she chose a bracelet that she likes wearing and decided it would be her here and now bracelet. And so she would rub it. And it's kind of like people using a, a rosary or worry beads or a mala. You know, it's the same kind of a tactile thing um, that people can do. Also, I've had tremendous feedback on people actually keeping a gratitude journal. You know, that like, wow, I'm noticing that I'm a happier person. And then the people around me are responding differently to me because I'm showing happiness and they're catching my happiness. They're mirroring their neurons, but they don't say that. And then it's like a positive feedback loop. Like, that's so cool. And then there's people that say, like, I I can't meditate. I'm not going to meditate. I don't want to meditate. I'm like, fine. Pick an activity that you do and be present with it. Or take a mindful walk. Oh, my gosh, we could walk and meditate? Like, absolutely, you can walk and meditate. If you're not doing your to-do list all the time or worrying about that conversation you just had, you're doing a mindfulness activity and you're giving your brain a break. It's not hard. 
It's true. I've had a lot of guests share that with me, that through through swimming or jogging or so many of these different activities, and it can be something something else completely, something passive. But, you know, it's really true that we can make mindfulness what works for us. One of the things you shared in your book was a comment that the Buddha reportedly said, that we make our own hell by wishing things were different than they are. And isn't that so true? Have you ever done that, Julie? Uh, let's see. How many times a day do I do that? I think in the book I say I, I'm an architect in hell, right? <laughs> I have like little, little apartment buildings springing up in hell. Um, no, you know what? The, the, when you really think about that, it's normal to wish that things are different than they are. Let's say, going back to the addiction conversation of two minutes ago, you have a loved one with a substance use disorder. You're not going to wish that that was okay. You're, of course, going to wish it was different. So then here's the further inquiry that you go to. Okay, it is what it is. Can I be okay in my core? In my core, knowing that it is what it is. Of course, you're going to wish it to be different. You're going to wish nobody had cancer. You're going to wish nobody died. That's right. You know, you're going to wish all those things because you're human and you want to alleviate suffering. But deep down in your core, can you be solid with the knowledge that this person has a horrible diagnosis? I'm going to be there in support and watch it unfold. You have a, a secular, mindful, self-compassion course. Tell us what that's like. Well, a mindful self-compassion course is a really gorgeous curriculum. It was written by uh, Christopher Germer and Krista Neff. She's at Texas. He's at Harvard. The Center for MSC started teaching that class at the UCSD Center for Mindfulness, which is in my backyard. Uh-huh. So I was the lucky, like, guinea pig first group that got to take it in an eight-week version okay. in 2010-11. So, like, nine years ago already. Then, in 2014, they advertised that they were going to do a teacher training. And I'm like, I'm in! So that's how I was in the first group of teachers to, to get trained to teach this class. It's all over the globe. It's in, I think, maybe 15 languages. It was 13 languages like two years ago, and they've added a couple more languages. But it's a set curriculum like mindfulness-based stress reduction is a set curriculum. What I needed to do because I'm me, and I've taken so many other trainings, is I needed to fold in Brene Brown's work and Rick Hansen's work, and Dan Siegel's work, and some other really important complementary trainings. And so that's why I changed the name to Mindful Methods for Life from Mindful Self-Compassion. But it's based on Mindful Self-Compassion. In order to be um, kosher, calling it Mindful Self-Compassion, it needs to be a full eight weeks, two hours and 45 minutes, And you need to stick, I think, like 90% of the way to their curriculum. So I didn't want to hurt their brand. And I needed to bring in all these other resource materials. 
Mindful Methods for Life. How long is your course? So it's an online course. Do you go on live with you? It's six weeks in person. I'm thinking of launching an online um, class. I also do workshops that are anywhere from an hour and a half to half day to whole day. So it just depends how much time I have. I have a three-day coming up, um, which is really going to be fun with like 120 women up above Los Angeles at this camp called Camp Mountain High, where I'm going to be teaching guided meditation in the morning just for a half hour, and then in the afternoon having like a two or three hour workshop. So they'll get a lot of info in, in a format like that. Right. And your website is mindfulmethodsforlife.com. So Mindful Tribe, check this out, mindfulmethodsforlife.com. And of course, you can find Julie on, on Twitter. You can find her on Facebook. On Facebook, it's Mindful Methods for Life. And that's a great place to find you, isn't it, Julie? I love my Facebook. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, they're they're having a problem with Facebook. I hope my tribe never dumps Facebook because there's almost 80,000 of us on there on Mindful Methods for Life. And it's curated, so it's really good, happy, supportive, inspirational stuff from all over the web, as well as my own created content like, you know, blogs or posts or whatever. Wow, Julie, that's awesome. Julie, were you ever bullied? Do you have a story to tell us where mindfulness would have made a difference? Totally. So this is going to sound so ridiculous, but you you know when you're a 58-year-old woman and you remember something from seventh grade? Yes. Like vividly, like like it's happening live, you know that it was traumatic. Yes. Even if your grown-up self judges it as silly. So in seventh grade, I was standing at my locker at Byron Junior High School in Shaker Heights, Ohio, which is outside of Cleveland, and two girls, both named Ellen, I won't say their last names, I'm sure they're perfectly lovely adults now, both came up to me, they were walking together arm in arm, and they stopped and they looked at me and they said, we don't like your outfit. I wanted literally to like shrivel up and get in my locker. Like if there was a way that I could have just vaporized, I would have done it. Wow. Wow. And did they continue to torment you? No, there was another girl that tormented me mercilessly. And she made up stories that I like liked some boy and that I used to call some boy at night, which I didn't. And that I was smoking pot, which I think we called dope back then. Um, you know, with the, with the school that was on the other side of the tracks, which I wasn't, had I been, you know, I don't, I don't know. Now, when I look at it, I mean, (laughs) I just wish that I had the confidence that I have now. Oh, wow. And my kids were bullied in school, especially one of my twin girls was bullied and, um, you know, I had to go to the principal and it was, it was, it was, she was cyber bullied actually. You know, when I was a kid, we didn't have cyber. No, no. <laughs> yeah. And so was she able to move through that with some of the mindfulness tools that you teach? Yes, she was. That's awesome. She was. 
It's great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, I know bullying is your like bailiwick and I'm so yeah. grateful that you're shining a light on it and doing such good work on it. Um, the elementary school that my daughters went to for a couple years, there was a terrible bullying problem and that's why I pulled them out. I actually sent them to a psychiatrist and he said that although they specifically weren't being bullied, because they were witnessing bullying going on all day, it was making them a nervous wreck. Uh-huh. And that the school had um, a reputation for allowing a culture of bullying and that I should take my kids out of that school, which I, which I did. And I put them in a school that had, um, this was elementary school, I put them in a school that had an emotional growth curriculum that was like just completely healing and beautiful. But the school that I pulled them out from, I had offered to have like parents monitor the playground and lunchtime because that's when a lot of the really bad stuff was happening and they didn't want it. And then subsequently, they did um, institute an anti-bullying curriculum. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. It wasn't because of me. It was just timing, you know, later. Yeah. Julie, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. If you could just keep it to around 30 seconds or less, that'd be great. The first question is this. Who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? Rick Hansen. Right. He's incredible. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? I'm more integrated. My inside matches my outside and I'm more balanced. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Breathing calms us all down. It lowers our heart rate and our blood pressure. Um, It's an incredible gift. If you exhale longer than you inhale, everything slows down. For sure. And the next question is about a book, and you already shared a book with us, Balm, B-A-L-M, Be a Loving Mirror. That's for addiction. It's for the family members of somebody who has a substance use disorder. Any other books you'd like to share that are related to mindfulness? Wow. So I think people should read Buddha's Brain, Hardwiring Happiness, and Resilient, all by Rick Hansen. And anything by John Kabat-Zinn, like Full Catastrophe Living or Wherever You Go, There You Are. And it, it would be maybe nice to read Chris Germer's book, too. Are there any apps you use or that you recommend for people that want to be more mindful? The Insight Timer, I-N-S-I-G-H-T, Insight Timer. Although there's many, many thousands of meditations on there, they have it organized really well. And it's how many minutes you want to practice. So if you only have four minutes, you can do that or 12 minutes or whatever. Also, they'll never charge you. It's always going to be free. And I'm on there. You can search for me. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm on there too. It's a great app. I love it. It's my favorite. Yeah. It's absolutely terrific. Yeah. Julie, I know you're found at mindfulmethodsforlife.com and on Twitter, on Facebook, on that wonderful group that you have, Mindful Methods for Life on Facebook. Check it out. Uh, Julie, it's been really fantastic touching base with you and talking about all you've done. And of course, your book, which I found particularly excellent, Life Falls Apart, 
but you don't have to. And it's so great because you have such an incredible storytelling ability, which you've you've proven right here on the show. Thank you again for being with us today, Julie. Thank you so much. It was really a blessing. Awesome. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show about the 12 must-read mindfulness books. Any one of these books can definitely change your life just like they have for the featured guests I've had on my show. All of these books have been recommended. They're the 12 most recommended books on Mindfulness Mode. Download this free gift at mindfulnessmode.com top 12 books. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.